رادیو رومی Hi everyone, welcome back to Radio Rumi. That fun time of the week again, which I get a chance to speak with you. I usually collect my notes and my thoughts over days and days. Then I'm ready to record an episode. And this is that time. So it is a rather unusual episode in the sense that I had a, what, one may call a minor accident. I kind of fell down a few stairs and gave myself a sprained ankle. And my good friend and producer, Sogand, whose energy is behind all these episodes, just turned around to me and simply said, well, maybe you should do an episode about what Rumi thinks about focusing on what you're doing and where you are going so that this kind of accident does not happen. You know, at first I thought, oh, that's a nice joke. That's, uh, that's fun. But then I thought about it. I realized that it's actually a very profound comment. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with various schools of thinking and meditation and practice, which focus on focusing. I started thinking about Sufism the Islamic mysticism version that um, Rumi lived by. And very soon, all kinds of ideas came to my mind about how important it is to being conscious of what you're doing and exactly focusing on where you put your foot. The first one is called Hush Dardam. Your intelligence, your concentration should be on the moment. And the second one is Nazar Bargadam in Persian. That literally means keeping your eyes on your feet. Of course, this wasn't meant just literally about the way you walk. It was also meant about where you go and how you decide what destinations are important to go to. Well, that was a very encouraging start. And I decided to do an episode about the concept of ba khodi and bi khodi. The first one, ba khodi, means to be with yourself in a way to be in the grip of yourself. And it is not meant in a positive sense of being present in the moment, but it is about being concerned with yourself. Did I say the right thing? Did I make a good decision? Do I look okay? Is my haircut fine? Am I dressed properly? All of these things that kind of gradually become like a clothing, a layer of what you wrap around yourself and in a way make it difficult to be free. And then the opposite of it is be hodi, being without yourself, which is a very interesting concept. 
It isn't really about giving up on yourself. It is about not being in the grips of that self. With these two concepts, with these points in mind, I am going to invite you to this episode, which is going to focus on Bahodi and Bihodi, to be with oneself and to be free of oneself. Of course, these concepts, like almost anything else about human behavior, are totally cultural. They may be different in one culture, even in one city within a country, compared to another city. Or, chronologically, if we go back a few hundred years, even a few decades, these concepts might mean different things. For example, now, when we say selflessness, it implies a kind of sacrifice, a kind of being ready to give of yourself to others. Of course, that's a very noble quality, and the Sufis, like any other teacher of wisdom and human behavior, they encourage us to think about other people and not just ourselves. Nonetheless, the selflessness that I'm going to talk about based on the poetry of Rumi is not really about this kind of selflessness. It is focused on a kind of self which is a trap, and it could become, as I said, a prison, and it could stop you from seeing the bigger world. This isn't, of course, like many other things that Rumi has done, an invention of Rumi. There is a story about another mystic, Sheikh Abu Sa'id Abul Khair, from the province of Khorasan, the same geographical area in northeast of present-day Iran and partly in present-day Afghanistan, in which this great master, who was also an inspiration to Rumi himself, there are many episodes, many stories about Abu Sa'id Abul Khair, and one of them is one day the master was sitting, a poet rose to read a poem. Which literally means, what does this world want from poor me? Before he gets to the next line, the master said, that's really enough. Would you sit down? By starting with yourself, you're taking away the taste, the spiritual impact of your poetry. Of course, this is a little bit harsh, but you know, one thing about these great Sufi masters is that they do not mince their words. They're not about, I don't want to hurt you, I want to be sweet and kind, which very often they are, but if it's necessary to make somebody think seriously about something, they're not going to sugarcoat it. With that in mind, let me now get back to the incident, the incident about my own falling. Um, very likely, Rumi will say, you probably were thinking about the meeting you just came out of. You probably were thinking, did I say it really the right way? And so on and so forth. So let's see what else he says about Bahodi and Bihodi. Like many other things that he talks about, and I think that's a characteristic of Rumi's work, is that he doesn't expect you to leap out of yourself and do something immediately. He wants you to step by step 
build it in yourself. As you look at it, as you try to recognize and understand it. At the same time, he gives you these beautiful, simple, melodic descriptions of these complicated processes that he's talking about, like Bahodi and Bihodi, attachment to the self and freedom from the self. Listen to this one. An nafasi ke Bahodi yar chakhar ayadat. An nafasi ke Bihodi yar chakhar. And please keep in mind, I'm doing spontaneous, on-the-spot translation. It's good to be able to listen to that kind of spontaneous impact, but it's not a polished hours of work on the translation. آن نفسی که با خودی یار چه خار آیدت و نفسی که بی خودی یار چه کار آیدت That moment that you are trapped in yourself, even if the beloved is with you, it doesn't feel like being with a flower. It feels like being with a thorn. Why? Because, of course, you want to present yourself in all kinds of best possible manners and are concerned with whether you can do that or not. That ruins everything. And the moment that you're free from yourself, you are able to look at the world around you. You don't even need the beloved to be next to you. And we'll get to that point. You may be surprised to say, well, is he saying the beloved doesn't matter? In a way, yes. And in a way, no. And we're going to get to that. But let's read the rest. That moment in which you're trapped in yourself, even a mosquito can haunt you. And that moment when you're free from yourself and your concerns about yourself, even an elephant, a large creature, as frightening and powerful as an elephant, could be simply in the area, in the range that you feel you can deal with. You're not afraid. آن نفسی که با خودی بسته ابر قصه ای و نفسی که بی خودی مه به کنار آیدت. That moment when you are trapped in yourself, it's like you are covered in a cloud of sadness. You're closed. و نفسی که بی خودی مه به کنار آیدت. And that moment when you are free of yourself, the moon descends down on earth to be with you. آن نفسی که با خودی یار کناره می کند و نفسی که بی خودی باده یار آیدت. آن نفسی که با خودی همچون خزان فسرده ای و نفسی که بی خودی دیچ و بهار آیدت. That moment you're trapped in yourself, you feel the beloved is abandoning you because, in fact, you're abandoning the beloved. You are focused on yourself. And in those moments of freedom from yourself, the wine that the beloved serves, the grace 
the happiness, the presence of the beloved comes to you, flows to you freely. آن نفسی که با خودی همچون خزان فسرده ای و آن نفسی که بی خودی دی چو بهار آیدت That moment when you are trapped in yourself you're like a cold, dry autumn the leaves are falling, they're not alive but when you are free of yourself you're like the spring and even the winter feels like a spring to you Now here He gives us a very interesting psychological explanation, which I'm sure is not going to sound unusual or, or strange to you. جمله بیقراریت از طلب قرار توست طالب بیقرار شو تا که قرار آیدت All your restlessness is because of the intensity with which you seek rest. Become a restless seeker and then rest will come to you. In other words, learn to let go of life sometimes and just bathe yourself in the presence of everything around you. All the sense of defeat, all the sense of loss and unhappiness that you feel is because you're seeking happiness too intensely. Otherwise, all the happiness of the world, all the desirous things that you can think of will come like simple things thrown at your feet that you may not even pay attention to. Now, as unusual as this picture is, a question that is a very valid question is, all right, besides feeling the joy of being free of yourself, what else is in there? And his answer would be, only that, only the joy. Don't take it lightly, because that's the engine that gives you the energy to go forward. هر که بود در این طلب بس عجب است و بل عجب صد طرب است در طرب جان ز خود رهیده را. ز خود رهیده is a very beautiful expression in Persian. Literally means having been freed from oneself, liberated from oneself. And so this line goes, whoever is in this journey of seeking is in fact the wonder of wonders and there are a hundred kinds of happiness for the soul that is free from itself. And then at this point you might say, well, what is the goal? What is the destination? My understanding of his philosophy is that give up on destinations. Give up on destinations. Going is the destination. The journey itself is the destination. دلا خیمه خود بر این آسمان زن. مگو که نتانم. بلی می توانی. Pitch your tents, oh my heart, above the heavens, the seven heavens, the sky. And don't tell me you can. Of course you can. And then again, like many other times when he's saying things that seem to be so difficult to understand because they're abstract, he gives you a very 
simple and tangible example that can help you understand this point. کم از زمین نیستی زمین را به حرکات و گردانیدن به بیل دیگرگون می کند و نبات می دهد. You're not less than the earth, are you? They plow the earth and then it begins to grow all kinds of trees and bushes and flowers. So treat yourself like the earth. Allow yourself to be plowed by coming and going and moving. And don't ask what's the destination, what's the outcome. When you do this genuinely with joy, being present in the moment, free of yourself, you'll see the results. And you know, I have an interpretation which I want to share with you. It's very personal, but this is how I have thought about this. I'm sure many of you who are interested in Rumi, you know about the whirling dervishes. In fact, I think we probably had an episode on it since it's such a central activity among his group. And in whirling, the person who's whirling is turning around, kind of circling around his or her own heart, with one of the hands pointed to the sky and the other down to the earth where he is standing. Or she is standing. Oh, there have been tons of interpretations as, you know, this human being is connecting the heavens and the earth. And I think that, well, these are beautiful interpretations, but I don't think for Rumi ever the heavens and the earth were separated. So they won't be in need of connection. They were always connected. They will always be connected. The same as in our nature, our physique, our physical intimacies, our physical desires and being is very much connected with who we are spiritually. And neither is uh, destroying the other or making the other better. The things about it is being genuine and honest and true to yourself and to others. But I think the whirling, back to the point of the journey, not having a destination, and in fact being the destination, that's whirling. You don't have a beginning point and a finishing point. You are going, whirling and whirling. And they sometimes did this for hours. Very interesting, because it's a symbol of the way the planets have been whirling, and they continue to do so. And only goodness knows how much longer they will be doing that. And to Rumi, that's an indication that the whirling itself, the movement itself, is the purpose. I'm going to, however, introduce a new note into this conversation by bringing in another poem, which I think is one of his most complex, at the same time one of the most significant ways in which he teaches us about ourselves or ourselves, freedom from ourselves, connection with the beloved, and the relationship between these two. And if you remember when I was reading the previous poem, he said, when you're free of yourself, it doesn't matter if you have the beloved with you. And I told you he has actually an explanation for that. That comes out in this poem. Okay, let's read. There are voices in this poem that kind of interweave and separate from each other. So I'm giving a little bit of a commentary. This, the first one is the beloved. Amadam khud. گوش کشان کشانمت بی دل و بی خودت کنم در دل و جان 
Neshaunamat. The beloved says, I have come here so I can grab you by the ear and pull you towards myself to make you lose your heart to me, give your heart to me, and then place you in my own heart and soul. Rumi's voice answers, آمدهام بهار خوش پیش تو ای درخت گل تا که کنار گیرمت خوش خوش و می فشانمت. And I have come on my beautiful spring, my pleasant spring, before you, you, my flower bush. I have come to embrace you and then shake you so that the flowers pour down on me. That's a very interesting poetic image because when you grab the tree and shake it, it gives you the fruits and the flowers that are not within reach because you're not yet tall enough to reach them. Then there is the voice of the beloved again. The beloved says, and I have come to give you all the manifestation you need, all the glory you need in this very house in which you live. That is the earth, your earthly life. And then like the prayer of lovers, the ones who pray from the bottom of their hearts, the most sincere prayers, I will place you above the spheres like those prayers because those prayers reach all the way high up to wherever existence exists. I'm exaggerating a little bit because Rumi really has this sense of exaggeration, playful sense of exaggeration in this poem. And then Rumi answers, آمدم که بوسه ای از سنمی رو بوده ای باز بده به خوشدلی خاجه که واسط آمد. Rumi says, okay, and I have come to tell you you owe me a kiss. Either you give it to me happily of your own accord or my grand master, my Khaje, I will take it from you. What is he doing here? Something that is his favorite tool of expression. He loves to bring in worldly love, intentionally, physical intimacy, embracing, kissing. You know, one of the reasons is, as I said, I believe that he never thought that physical intimacy and a spiritual intimacy were separate from each other. But also there's another reason. We as human beings understand this intimacy much better than a high-level, abstract concept of spiritual intimacy, which we may never be able to imagine unless we experience it. So using this gentle, familiar, meaningful, palpable human desire, he helps us take one step closer to where he wants to take us, which is through this and beyond it, if we can go. So he speaks again, Rumi, and he says, گل چه باوت که کل توی ناطق امر قل توی گردگری نداندت چون تو منی بدانمت I think that this line in itself entails the entire philosophy of human divine interaction. 
whether you look at it from a, an Islamic, Quranic perspective, or a totally open, humanistic, even non-religious uh, perspective. So he says, what is flower? This is Rumi now answering. What is flower? You're the whole existence. And he's playing on gul and kul, which in Persian mean flower and the whole being. You are the one who, in the holy book, speaks with the imperative verb, ul, say. That's one of the most often repeated Quranic addresses in which the Muslims believe God says to Prophet Muhammad, ul, say. So, what is flower? You're the whole existence. You're the sayer of all, the one who addresses the prophet. Here is where poetically he tells it all. If others don't know you because you are me, I know you. And that is what I meant when I said, he says, if you're free of yourself, you don't even need the beloved. Because if you're free of yourself, you are the beloved yourself. Or there's no separation. You're in there. You're the drop that has fallen into the ocean. Whatever metaphor works for you, you can use that. But you are not separate. And then the beloved speaks again and takes a rather dominant role. And in the end, actually, we understand that that wasn't a very dominant role. In fact, it was a very gentle give and take. But the dominant phrase is this. سید منی شکار من گرچز دام جست ای جانب دام باز رو ور نروی برانمت. You are my prey. You're the one I have captured. Now you have run away from me. Come back. Go to that trap. If you don't go, I am going to push you there. And then he or she gives a loving explanation and advice. از حد خاک تا بشر چند هزار منزل است شهر به شهر بردمت بر سر ره نمانمت From the stage of being the earth to becoming a human being because like many other religions in Islam too human beings are created of the earth so the line says and in which the beloved is speaking from the stage of being the earth to being the beloved there are a thousand different stages. Shahr be shahr bordamat bar sar rah namaunamat. I have taken you step by step from city to city. I am not going to abandon you. But you have to do something. You have to do something very important. Hich magu kaf makun. سر مگوشای دیگ را نیک بجوش و صبر کن زان که همی پزا نمد Don't say anything Don't be like a cauldron on fire that is boiling and sending out steam and boiling over Just boil gently Just cook gently Because I am cooking you I am preparing you now you might be thinking, well, what is going on here? Who's speaking? Who is in charge? Is Rumi getting close to the beloved? Is this bewilderment? Is this confusion? Well, really a bit of all. And I must say, confusion and bewilderment are not negative stages and negative feelings. 
for mystics. It is those stages that could become very productive and push us forward towards the stages we need to be going to. And listen to this ending line, which actually says the confusion is because the lover and the beloved are engaged in a two-sided play, a kind of game that cannot be done by only one of them. For the beloved says, You are my polo ball. I hit you and you ran forward. However, In fact, I am running after you, even though I am making you run. Isn't that totally genius? way of explaining this amazingly complex relationship. I hit you and you run, but in fact, you make me run after you. So you and I are engaged in a give and take that you would only understand when you get engaged in it. Well, I think we have a lot to think about, not least Bahodi and Bihodi. I'll leave you with these thoughts until the next time when we will be talking about another interesting and meaningful concept from Rumi's treasure house of wisdom. Goodbye.